You're listening to And you're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. I got a dollar, got a dollar, and a dream, and a dream, yeah. Boy, you know we really trying to eat, don't you know? I got a dollar, got a dollar, and a dream, and a dream, yeah. Boy, you know we really okay. trying to eat, don't you know? Uh, more than I travel the globe, ay, I see the changes around me. Ay, people move on and drift apart. Real life ain't slowed down for anybody. Gets real. It's real. That's the way it is. Sometimes I don't even know what day it is. Gonna be city to city to making a living. To say I'm busy is an understatement. Oh no. Oh, no. Y'all think I'm famous. All I can't And hey everyone, welcome to episode 146 of the collab cast. It is Thursday, November the 16th. Oh, it's my mom's birthday. Happy Woo! birthday, mom. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, mama. Mar- Marvin Mama. <laughs> Marvin Mama. <laughs> You're listening to the Collabcast. My name is Marvin Yue. I'm Minji Chang. And we are your hosts for this weekly look at pop and Asian American culture. And this week, uh, we're joined or rejoined by uh, one of our good friends. Who's new in SoCal? Yeah, last time he was on, he Skyped in from D.C. And now he's back in, you know. He's back from the hill. He's back in this nice, balmy California winter. Winter, quote unquote. (laughs) I kind of miss the jackets. (laughs) You're wearing one now. You look fabulous. Alton Wang. Hi, Hi, all. How's it going? Good. How you guys? We're splendid. (laughs) We're like diving right back into work after Empower. It's pretty great. After Empower. Still alive. Still alive. Last yeah. time we talked to Alton, he was still part of API Vote, um, and now he is part of, you joined a academic institution. Yeah, it's really <laughs> weird. So now I'm the assistant director for API Data, which is a data project out of University of California, Riverside. And yes. We focus on demographic data for Asian Americans, kind of, you know, what we've always been talking about, about how we're empowering our communities, but now we need proof. Yeah. <laughs> the you, sexiest thing. The sexiest thing. Data. data. I mean, have you seen their maps and charts? It's very sexy. It's great. I mean, legit, though. I'm not lying. I think life. that that's pretty like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> because proof. Yeah. And its own story. Congrats, though. Welcome back. It feels yeah. great. It feels great. I'm still trying to get used to um, the traffic. Oh, yeah. It's rough. Because yes. I still have to drive an hour to work versus, you know, <laughs> jumping on the train. Oh, the no. But, you know, NPR gets me through the day, so. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was saying that to, like, it's a strategy. You have to have, like, a good playlist of songs and then a good podcast playlist. Right. Like, you can, you can like survive. Like this one. Yes. <laughs> we get you through half halfway. Halfway. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then you got to have a strategy the way back. Like, <laughs> you know, it's fine. We contribute. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we're um, we're one week out from Collaboration Empower Weekend. Minji and I are now semi-rested, although we've jumped straight back into working on our next big thing. Yeah. So, Sundance. Um, the world does not end or Slash stop, next year. Slash, stop. slash everything, yeah. <laughs> Never stops. But yeah, let's just get to it. Every week we start out with a roundtable discussion about what's on our minds in the world of pop culture in Asia America, um, what we've read, what we've seen, what we're thinking about. And this week, uh, let's start with Alton. What's on your mind? So, you know, this morning uh, we saw the circulation of this new restaurant in <laughs> South Africa. Um, called Misohani. Yeah. Where is it at? Johannesburg. Okay. And it's been circulating a lot. It's this um, Korean barbecue ramen plus poke yeah. restaurant. So you know it's good. It sounds great. It's a mashup <laughs> of all these different cultures. Um, but the name is just something that is really hard to get past or make any food, any appetizing <laughs> at all. Um, and it's been buzzing, you know, all over the internet this morning. Um 
it's just an interesting take by these two white men not just the name of it but the, for me even the concept of these white men kind of doing asian food and claiming that food and making a profit off of it it is also just as bothersome almost <laughs> that's for me personally that's like a far second to, to the name like as a female as mm, asian female yeah. like i've Yes. So, do you know the uh, the origins of that that saying? Because I had to actually explain to Alton where that saying comes from. I had no idea. Enlighten. Oh, it's have you guys ever seen the movie Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, yeah. Like I know, and it's yeah, from yeah. Vietnam War. So, era. In, in that um, very classic Stanley Kubrick movie, um, there's a scene where uh, American soldiers are walking past these Vietnamese prostitutes, and they're like calling out to them, you know, "Me so horny, me love you long time." And that's where basically every single person's perception of Vietnamese women comes from. Is from that and scene Asian in that women. Movie. It yeah. like it it has pervaded all Asian women. Like that's a very again it's, it has the Asian female in this group. But like I've, it's been like the signature, like the catcall of the fetish of fetishization mm-hmm. of Asian women, and I feel like. I've had that said at me and I'm not Vietnamese, but I like again like can understand that it comes with the full plethora of ignorance that comes yeah. with understanding any, anything about its roots and like just okay, and again we're in like the Harvey Weinstein era right now. <laughs> right. So like in general that all of that is like infuriating, but like the fact that they're like putting that proudly and thinking that in any way, shape or form that it is acceptable, that it's not grossly disrespectful and disgusting is it makes my brain explode and also shout out to there's new emojis there's like a brain exploding emoji really now. i would use phones. that right here yeah. yeah so anyway it's just it's infuriating it's disgusting it's very personal just as an asian female i'm not even vietnamese american but like it's gross yeah. Are you are you effing kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> really quick, I want to shout out the um, the Twitter user that made the original tweet that um, brought to everyone's attention. It's um, Ming Chao's um, at M A N G C H E A U. She's a Taiwanese South African um, writer. Shout out! Shout out! Shout Thanks out for bringing to the attention. It's just meh. so there's there's been a morning's worth of discussion right. on how this this sucks. The, their ratings, their Yelp ratings, and their Facebook page ratings has have been torched by the community. But you think about like this isn't just the work of like two dudes. This is the work of like a contractor, mm-hmm. a business license. That's giver. what I was going to say. How like, many light green lights had to go through for that to exist? Yeah, we're, like, not talk, we're not talking. We're also talking about a country that where race is, is a very, very, very prominent factor of their political development, their social <laughs> development, their cultural development. So it's interesting that you know this. Not just like this is something that would just like be okay for them, but that this is something that they wouldn't like. You know, looking at the rev- um, introductions of the new restaurant on the internet, like these new food blogs sharing this. Oh, great food, whatever. That that <laughs> wouldn't. Even, it would slip their minds that this is something that is probably problematic. Right is also really telling. It's like um, I, I think about all like the pho pun restaurants that we've seen, but a lot of them are like open by. Vietnamese but they're like people. owned so by. Like, I don't. Yeah, like who it comes from. Like the context is everything right. in these these situations, right? Ownership. <laughs> and we see that. Okay, honestly, legit. I went and got pho a few days ago, and we specifically for. I mean, I'm spoiled in California. I'm California born and raised, but like we want 
or authentic pho. So we're like, it cannot be over like $9. And it has, to, you know, there's a certain mom and pop feel. So we, like my roommate and I, we drove like 20 minutes away because there was a really like hip new spot that's actually tasty. I ended up eating there one time because I was sick. Mm -hmm. I just needed soup. But like... We drove tw over 20 minutes further away for something that was open that like felt more authentic and real in terms of being Vietnamese American owned. And like it matters a lot, like context of like having authenticity and yeah. like. But, but then that brings up another issue, which is like, why? Why does authenticity mean that we don't want to pay that much for it? Right. Like. Wouldn't it be possible for a Vietnamese American or a Vietnamese person to make really, really great flow and sell sure. it for like twelve, fourteen? Totally. Again, if it was, totally. then we would. Yeah. But like, there's something inauthentic <laughs> about this other place that's like super hipster and like very cute and like whatever, and charging yeah twelve dollars for a bowl of pho. When I grew up in Cupertino and I used to get it for like six bucks, and like, I don't know. Again, I like that's a whole other topic, <laughs> and I get what you're saying. But I would, and but like, it just didn't have the same realness and like right. in, in terms of ingredients and like that authenticity means a lot because food. Again, we've talked about food so much that it's a very, very very emotional and very like deep part of culture right. and heritage that you feel a certain level of disregard and disrespect when someone disrespects your food is like a whole other level of, I don't know. I, I feel there, very defensive. There are direct implications about colonialism and you yeah. know, imperialism when we're talking about food. I think food culture has been a huge part of, you know, our identities and the erasure of such identities or the changing of these identities. So I think that, you know, that that's why this is so our appropriation, appropriation of the identities. Like this is our thing. Like this is the, one of the few things that haven't been pillaged or stolen or taken. And that's what <laughs> rebranded. 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 <laughs> and this is what feeds our communities. This is what feeds our families. So like, it's not, this is something that people take seriously for a reason. It's not just a joke that can be taken lightly. Yeah. I mean, people make fun of the fact that like, Nothing gets Asian Americans riled up more than food, but there's a reason for that. It's like one of the few things that we have yeah. to, in the in the sense, I guess, own, right? Right. <laughs> um, hopefully, that will you know expand soon to media and other things. We are. <laughs> it's already happening. <laughs> um, what's on your mind, Minji? Well, actually, that was my topic, um, but like that's what I'm thinking about today. Currently. Um, I don't know. We're about to go to a screening. Like this is pre. I wish we were recording this tomorrow, but we're about to see a screening of Crazy Rich Asians today. Ooh, yeah. So I'm super excited about that. We also probably won't be able to talk about it for a couple of months. Right. 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 But I'm <laughs> or really. When did the film come out? So until then, <laughs> it, uh, it's on my now. mind. Um, and it's just kind of reflecting back on John Chu because he was at our Empower conference. Um, just to kind of reflect on you know, getting to know people who are in this film and it's like friends of ours. Like, I can't wait to see Jimmy O'Yang. I can't wait to see Aquafina. Yeah, I sent you a picture of the, um, the, like, the yeah, Entertainment yeah, yeah. Weekly spread of like their, what they look like in their, so good. on it's screen. It's so good. And it's just like a whole other level of specialness. So that's honestly, that's what's on my mind. It just, it means a lot because I, I have actor friends and writer and director friends and, you know, that's a large part of my Facebook feed, but I get to see everybody prosper um, and grow in their craft and like what they're creating and taking really bold choices and competing in film festivals and all that stuff. So it's been awesome. You know, everybody from Justin Chan and Andrew on with Spawnite and like, this is like a really momentous thing and I didn't expect to feel so like emotionally engaged to be honest because sometimes you feel like oh I should feel mm. I should feel excited yeah it's like an obligation right a, I mean that's how I felt for a long time with the Asian American film it's like the movie was good yeah um, 
but I have to act like it's the best thing because it's all I have, you know? Yeah. And you want to, and that comes from a genuine place too, but like, but it's different. It feels special when it's like, when it's for real. It feels good because like, so this is one of many like focus group screenings that Warner Brothers are doing for this film. And it really feels like, like these things aren't cheap. Like this getting like marketing companies to come and conduct these things. And it, the signal ascends is they're putting a lot of money behind making sure this movie is successful. Word. Right. And hopefully they don't like focus group it to, to death and it becomes like super diluted. But at the same time, I'm sure we're going to be filling out some form from a survey after the screening. And, oh, I will survey. <laughs> I will provide feedback. And that's more, that's more data to like enter into the world. Ooh, data. You know? <laughs> Alton, have you read the book? I am in the process of reading it. Got it. It's on my shelf with like 50 other books I didn't read because of the election year last year. So (laughs) I mean, you've had a year. (laughs) Even this year has been just oh, you know, momentous, right? Yeah, but I hope you do read it. I hope you enjoy it. It was like it was a lot. It's like so much of everything, but that's the point of the story, right? Exactly. It's, It's so much. I just like I love that we have our. You know, our it's not people are saying it's the first all like Asian cast since like joy luck club but it's such a different movie from joy luck club yes. <laughs> so different team <Yeah>. extra <laughs> did you see the um cover of entertainment weekly i did yeah. oh my god i just my mind just blew yeah and it was just all over my twitter feed it was fantastic <laughs> and i think a film like this is so important because it kind of also just changes cultural understandings of who asians can be whether it's asian american in this case it's not but just the ideas that people have i think this is this is something that really pushes a conversation too yeah even if it is kind of, you know, ridiculous in some ways, but they're that's why it's great. See, they're going to see a lot of Asians with British accents. Well, they're leaning into great. the ridiculous. That's what I think is so great. And like having like Asian British and Asian Malaysian, like, you know, it's it's not, there's no one singular entity. And I think that's amazing. And then I actually got into a semi-debate with a friend on uh, Facebook because he was, he hadn't read the book hadn't didn't know anything really about the story but he was just saying this is you know driving home really narrow stereotypes of asians that we're all affluent have money Mm. and i was like you didn't read the story (laughs) (laughs) and i was you know and again it was kind of bringing up this controversy and there's a lot of comments going i don't want to like reflect on everything but my basic two cents were the main character constance Wu plays a middle class girl from the Bay Area grew up with a single mom and she gets thrown into this world of crazy rich Asian. That's the premise of the story. So there is not a singular story. That's why it's so extra is because there's like 20 stories in one. And it does talk about the perks and the horrible stuff of being really wealthy and dealing with money and then the dynamics that it creates within. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, So I was just pushing him to like be open-minded. I was like, there's a lot there. I hope you don't write it off just because, like, you are literally reading this book by its cover. <laughs> There's more there. And I felt a lot of, like, closeness to the story because of Constance Wu's character. I was like, I'm an Asian-American girl from the Bay. Um, I didn't grow up hella rich, but, like, hella. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, anyway, I'm just really excited. This yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I was looking through the... Um, I, 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 I finally tracked down a copy of the Entertainment Weekly. Oh, you got uh, one? Ep- issue it took me forever like it was sold out like all throughout the, the San Gabriel Valley that's awesome I was surprised San Gabriel Valley of course <laughs> <laughs> I you up, live there yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I ended up finding one at the um, the Romans in Pasadena very nice and, I'm um, glad you got one yeah history. <laughs> it's history right there yes. yeah 
Um, What's on your mind? My mind. So um, a couple of things. I kind of feel like that. Should we do something fun or something more serious? Doesn't matter. Let's do something fun. The more serious thing is like speaking of total mockery of Asian culture. There's also like loving the culture so much that you want to become that culture. Because there's a dude from Florida who like (sighs) is um, apparently not a dude. She's a trans woman who is also claiming to be transracial. So she is a white trans woman who claims Filipino identity. A lot of like nuance. Nuance there. there. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even open that one because I was like, oh no. But it's like, I feel like we didn't we go through this like a couple years ago? Rachel Dolezal? Yeah. This is like Rachel Dolezal opened a, like a, a chasm that all of a sudden yeah. like all these folks think that it's okay to except, claim identities. <laughs> well, I, wait, except that this one's not uh, a leader of the NAACP. Right, that is. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. But also, well, like I do wonder like data-wise because I'm always kind of like trying to look at big picture when I get really um, moved or like instigated in a certain aspect i can get really emotional so i like step back and i'm like okay what's the actual data like how many people actually attempt to claim this so i would like to just point out i think that it's probably a really small minority but it's still problematic and it's like i think that's why it's such a like throwing us for such a loop because you're yeah. like what <laughs> i mean growing up in the San Diego valley we, we have friends who like are super into anime like because they grew up you grow up amongst asians you watch anime at people's houses. You watch Dragon Ball, or you know, we had like a local comic store. We can you can rent fan dubs, right? Um, and so I, I have a lot of friends who aren't Asian but are super into Asian stuff. You know, specifically like the subculture of like anime, video games, right. and that kind of thing. Um, but even they like they joke about being like, "Oh, I'm Asian in the, in, in in a white body," but I've never heard them go as far as I claim like. The heritage. The heritage, right? right? And I think that's why this story kind of hits, because it's like, you may know everything about Filipino culture, but you've never lived as a Filipino person, right? Right. Right. I just, I guess I don't know how I'd feel if someone was like claiming to be Korean, which I'm sure there are a lot of those people. I just don't pay attention to them. But it's like, just because I I love K-pop doesn't mean I would ever say, oh, I love K-pop so much and I understand Korean culture and I love Korean food. I'm Korean. (laughs) I'm like that makes no sense. And it's just I think there's something really subtle here also that, you know, but these people who have been claiming to be transracial are white. And I think it's telling you a lot about what this ownership of identity means for people and like who is able to exercise this kind of even even the conception in their mind that they can be someone else yeah. or identify as someone else, um, quite literally. And I think that 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 speaks volumes too. Um, it reminds me of people who really love Jay Chow. And I, me being someone who's okay, lukewarm on Jay Chow, I love Jay Chow, and then telling me, "Oh, you're a bad Taiwanese person," Ooh. you know. I mean, there's so many. Again, I can't drink, and like, I'm like everyone's like, "You're a terrible Korean." And I'm like, "Fine," um, and I don't really care for K-pop and K-dramas. Like, I don't consume that that or much anything else that much now. But like. Those are different qualifiers, and that's a lot of that is just joking. But yeah. when somebody's like legitimately saying, like, I am a different race, I think it's problematic. Even like, for example, in the Korean community, and right now with like K pop with appropriation of black culture, like, it's there, there's it's a slippery slope, right? There's a difference between saying, like, oh, look, I'm really influenced by something, and I have a lot of respect and admiration and like love for XYZ, but then to kind of claim that you are that, yeah. It, like at the end of the day, are you like 
is she checking the Asian box when she's filling out census, right? Or, I mean... It goes to a very deep <laughs> conversation of, like, what qualifies or what constitutes somebody saying, like, I am of this race or, well, like, ethnicity. Let's also make it clear that I don't think there's a big disconnect for the person because there is a difference between ethnicity and race. Filipino right. is yeah. not a race. Right. I mean, I think, like, calling yourself transracial, but then saying that you're just Filipino... That it doesn't really make sense, and I think like you know that goes to the absurdity of the entire thing. Is right, that right, forget, right. Forget, yeah. you know, there's a difference between race and ethnicity, and this is about ethnic identity, which is also more nuanced. But racial, it's just it's just such a confusing cluster of crap. Yeah, but at the same time, honestly, I'm like I'm uh, just being Minji. Like sometimes I appreciate the. It's not a comfortable conversation, but then also, like, when would we talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> if it weren't for this this person being so, like, confounding or, like, so perplexing, I'm just yeah. like, okay. But yeah. it does it does bring those things to light. And honestly, I don't sit around thinking about the difference, the nuance between, you know, the differences between race and, race and ethnicity. Like, that's not a conversation yeah. that comes up regularly. So, to be honest, on a degree, I'm, like, grateful that we're having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess um, we have time to bring up my other topic, which is... Yeah, um, we're in a very heavy space. Yeah. We're talking about... <laughs> um, Thanks, Marv. <laughs> sorry. Um, I just, you know, it was a loose segue no, 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 no. I wanted to pursue. But uh, my other topic is a little bit more fun. It came up yesterday. Um, so Ira Madison III, um, he's a writer for uh, The Daily Beast. He has a new podcast with um, Quirky Media coming out. Um, he responded to this Twitter like question... Like who would you? Who's your dream cast for Batman? And he responded, Daniel Henney. Oh, as Batman. As Batman, he's saying like he could pack on a bit more muscle, but he's got the Bruce part down. Right? Yeah, Bruce Wayne. I was gonna, that was literally the first thing I was like, <laughs> got Bruce Wayne, but I don't know about Batman. <laughs> I would watch Batman for the first time if Daniel <laughs> Henney was Batman. Hey. And then he went on saying he's obsessed with this now, so he's casting Stephen Young as Joker. And um, Kim Min-hee as Harley and Park Chan-wook as a director. Hey. So the guy from The, the Handmaiden and, yeah. and all those movies. And like, I thought that was really cool that like, in his mind, he wants to see an Asian Batman. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go for it. Make Batman Asian. And then people jumped on this. They, they casted like Lucy Liu as Poison Ivy. I was going to say. Margaret oh. Cho as the Riddler. And Yo, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I would watch the crap out of I that I would watch film. that. Yeah, I mean, it goes to, like, superhero movies are huge right now. And, like, you, you, you still rarely see, like, like, representation is getting better, but we're still not at the superhero level yet. Right. right. We have um, Jason Momoa as Aquaman. He's, like, Pacific Islander. And we have Taika Waititi doing Thor. And that movie was very, like, there's literally a, like, a New Zealander character in there, even though he's CG. I guess because I'm not as invested in superhero anything really like i enjoy it and i like god bless avengers because that got me really like oh this is cool <laughs> um and i've seen all the, and i'm like very like old school when it comes to i like batman my favorite one was like the uh michael keaton that he's still my favorite mm-hmm. batman um or those movies but like i guess because i didn't read the comic books i have a different perspective of like i don't feel the necessity to replace i I guess like they're drawn a certain way so in that i think there's absolutely creative liberty to put whoever you want i don't think it's a requirement Mm. um i think it's fun 
And I think for the pure sake of fun and creativity and different mediums of storytelling, you could replace other ethnicities. I have a problem for real when it is a specific ethnicity like we've seen in certain movies and then they blatantly whitewash it. Mm. I have a big issue with that. But I don't think that like... I guess for me, just like being real, I don't think Batman needs to be Asian. It'd be cool. But like, I don't feel like... Yeah. Like outreach culture or like feeling like I need to like protest for that. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I know you're not. I'm I'm just saying. I'm I'm, I'm saying more like... So there is... um, there's this uh, movement going around in the literary world where um, it's a backlash on, uh, I think Netflix or Hulu is making a Lord of the Rings series. Yeah, Amazon. Amazon. Amazon is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that like, there's all these great fantastical worlds to co- to choose from, some more diverse than others. And we always go back to Tolkien, which is like this very white centered right. like fantasy world, right? And I think it's the same thing with like the Iron Fist thing, where it's like it just seems like a squandered opportunity. Yeah, for, it is. For, yeah, I mean, given again data, like how many <laughs> how many Asians exist in this world? Like you're having all these worlds, and none of them are Asian. Like yeah. that's billions, just billions of us, billions, and it's just it just seems silly. Like in but that I think, aspect, I think the Batman thing. I think that, or just any superhero movie. I think it's it's a good point. Almost like when can we? As a culture, whether it's you're talking about Asian Americans, whether you're talking about Asian Asians, like when can this be a culture to be seen as superheroes um, in more ways than one? Not just on TV and entertainment as literal superheroes, but figuratively or in different professions. I think that's something that's yet to be seen, which is why maybe that thought is so exciting. Yeah. almost it's like yeah. when can we be seen as superheroes? I mean, we're building there. I mean, uh, fun fact is um, the Thor movie uh, is partially based on a series called Planet Hulk. Which was one of Greg Pak's first, like, writing gigs for Marvel. So that story came from an Asian American mind, and he's also the dude behind Asian Hulk, right? Which Very is just cool. around the corner, maybe like a good like five, six years down the line. I think like, that that, that um that interplay <laughs> with like Asian Hulk is hilarious, <laughs> personally because like I get called that, <laughs> but like. Yeah, the yeah. rage is real. Asian I think Hulk is Korean, funny. so... I was going to say, he's like a soju bottle, so... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, and on that note, let's take a quick break before we come back and talk more with uh, Alton about data and stuff. <laughs> Not just data, like everything. 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 Hey everyone, it's Marvin. Uh, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Collabcast. Um, this podcast, of course, is part of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. Discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the API community. For more information about Collaboration's programs, um, please check out our website at www.collaboration.org. The Collabcast is also a part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts hosted by Asian Americans um, featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. Uh, if you like the Collabcast, you should also check out They Call Us Bruce, a podcast hosted by Phil Yu of Angry Asian Man fame and OG Asian American journalist Jeff Yang. Phil and Jeff dive into an aspect of Asian American pop culture every week. And in this week's upcoming episode, um, recorded at the San Diego Asian Film Festival, I am a guest. Um, you can check out The Calls, Bruce, and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. 
And with that, uh, let's get you back to the show. And welcome back to episode 146 of the Collab Cast. We are here with Alton. Hi, all. <laughs> How you doing, Alton? Um, and yeah, he um, he's recently moved back to Southern California um, to work on Asian American data. Yeah, and so you know, AAPI data. One thing we've been looking at, and that's been a really big attention for us, is kind of the growing voter engagement and and strength of the Asian American and Pacific Islander community when it comes to not just the election, but also, and not just to our voter base, but also to candidates and to, you know, people who are getting engaged in more ways than one. So it's been an exciting year, years even, more than just this year, 2016 too, yeah. for the community. I, I remember I saw a recent tweet that you put out about the recent election and how much of an impact the Asian American vote had. And like, I just love that because again, because when we talk with different Asian Americans or just actually anybody about kind of the importance of representation and right. things like that, there's different strategies, I guess, that I like different factoids that I'll pull out of my back pocket about why things matter, how they matter and like what a difference, like what small margin can make in terms of like impact because that gets lost on a lot of people just for real like the last last eight years being part of collab it's hard to convince some people oh, yeah like yeah. they're just like why what does it matter why is this important yeah. right <laughs> so what's your elevator pitch like because i know that that's again you're part, part of your world and you've been so focused in the political spectrum which i just applaud you because that work is so important and honestly i feel like a lot of times really thankless <laughs> Well, I think that a lot of what you, what you say and what we always say, I think, is not just... We always say okay, the standard things that we're the fastest growing population in the country. There are more immigrants coming to the United States from the Asia-Pacific region than anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, that's all true, and that's all great. And I think when we're talking about politics, one thing, you know, we'll always say that if you look at these key swing states like Virginia, like Nevada... Um, the growing power of the Asian American electorate is going to determine elections. Right. Um, they are now, they will be. And I think, like, you know, we're talking about that in a broader context. This is now a, a community that's spending billions and billions of dollars in the economy. This is a community that's growing small businesses at a, fa- uh, at a rate that's, that, that surpasses some other communities or even, you know, the average. And I think that that's really important for people, policymakers, for, for people who are heads of corporations and companies that determine American culture and American society to take note of right because you know we are an important part of this country an important part of you know your bottom line if you're a business <laughs> that you need to pay attention now which right. is why we're starting to see things like crazy rich asians um being picked up by major major distributors we're, try- we're starting to see more um, representation whether it's not just on the screen but also in products because of that people are starting to take note that our money is going to actually make a difference. And by context, um, you know, our political power is making a difference too. Yeah, it's interesting because I also remember one of your tweets, which is, I guess, um, the um, was it the Washington Post or someone's breakdown of the demographics of the electorate for the Virginia, for the Virginia, Virginia race. race. And Asians weren't even on there. And like anyone who's lived in the DMV area knows that. There's hell of Asian yeah, people. Yeah, especially in Northern Virginia. There's tons of Asians hell out there. Of Asian people. <laughs> you know, I, I will say one thing that is true um, that the reporter tweeted back at me is that they, in exit polling that's in person so that's when people are literally standing around polling locations asking people to come out you know 
how did you vote or you know and asking for the demographic demographic information it is difficult to do a oversample of Asian Americans or of any minority honestly mm-hmm. um, yeah. when you're doing exit polling data but my point there wasn't that oh you definitely have to do it but if you're not going to do it why would you put Asians as <laughs> as a category there that's empty right. and moreover you know maybe it is important to invest that money it's all it, at the end of the day if you care about this accurate data and accurate information you want to be able to invest in a way that actually shows the bigger picture right yeah. you know one thing that we found is that in virginia for example um the race for governor which was such a tough race and very tightly contested between the republican and democratic candidate the the candidate who won governor uh, governor elect northam he won significant shares of votes from counties that have the highest asian american and pacific islander populations in that entire state so for example you know in fairfax county which is one of the largest most populous counties in the state and right. also where significant shares of asian americans are he won over 250,000 votes you know total uh, regardless of race regardless of uh, of party affiliation um but you know asian americans and pacific islanders are 50% of that county's electorate, which is already more than the size of the Asian American electorate writ large in the entire state. Mm. So that's going to show that, you know, we live in these dense areas that are vote rich, that are swing areas that will determine elections. And we're talking about that right now. We see that in um, Virginia and New Jersey. Yeah, look at the numbers. Like, you win the Asian vote, like, that is your margin, pretty much, for a lot of elections. See, okay, but like, and I think, okay, I love tying that data the facts and like the the all of that to what does this do in real life right so this is kind of like the the challenge that i had with talking about collaboration across the country when i go to like detroit and boston etc and like a lot of younger kids honestly within the millennium these are like college students they're like why does it even matter and i'm just like representation in media matters because this affects how you are going to be treated in the streets in the store and like like honestly one of my most effective anecdotes is like my parents are small business owners in a very still predominantly white suburban part of the bay area which is still very like culturally diverse and like compared to most parts of america but that's literally affects my life very directly because i don't want people disrespecting my parents being rude to them because they're immigrants making fun of their accents trying to take advantage of them having shitty landlords like what like it really does impact us on a very real like day-to-day way and like when i would make those kinds of like reflections it really did hit home with a lot more people they're like you know you're totally right like if we can find a way to create more understanding between you know uh, different minorities and ethnicities and backgrounds and like sexual orientations and everything it really humanizes people and i'm trying to find that narrative the same way which is why i look to people like elton to help how do we create the story to convince people because i think we're still in a very big state of trying to convince people like this actually matters it's not just numbers and saying like oh we had victory in xyz how does that play out right in your actual life like what is that what's at stake if we don't right and that's like exactly Alton's job 
Exactly. <laughs> so teach us, Alton. You know, like, you teach know, one us. thing I think we can talk about about daily life is that we we know that elected officials make policy decisions that determine the outcome of our lives and the way we live, and whether or not that we pay taxes and how much taxes we pay, whether right. our streets get clean, whether trash is picked up. You know, elected officials make these decisions from city council levels to state legislatures and obviously to Congress. And I think you know when we talk about the activation of our community and our electorate, that does translate also into political mobilization in other arenas like these elected officials. You know, we had so many firsts in this election, even outside of our community. We had, you know, first black mayors all over the country. We had um, the first uh, openly trans person elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. You know, we have all these firsts that are happening across the country, which is fantastic. But I'm excited to see that, you know, our community is also making these firsts, you know, and that's not that wouldn't have been necessarily as tangible as a uh, you know a few even a few decades ago. Um, so now, you know, in uh, Virginia, in the House of Delegates, which is their lower chamber of their state legislature, they elected two Asian American women for the first time to the state uh, House of Delegates. Mm-hmm. So we have Kelly Fowler and Kathy Tran, the first two Asian American women ever yes. elected. You know, and that's incredible because you're talking about when you're making these decisions. If you don't have the voices of people who you're making decisions for in the room, you're not going to actually represent their needs or what they care about amen right and so when you only have like um you know a couple people you know in a in a sea of hundreds it's really difficult but at least for us we still say at least we have the couple right at least we have the few um but so i think you know that's why there are serious implications on the way we live our lives and the way we we look on to how we can make decisions for ourselves and who makes the decisions for us yeah it's there's a lot of parallels between like what you just said about the house of delegates and like what we learn about showrunners rooms and that's exactly yeah. c-suites and stuff it's all about like getting your voice in there like getting a seat yeah. at the table so that you can start affecting change or at least making noise right right again and like for me okay so i won't share too much because i don't know how, how much i'm allowed to share but i'm going through some stuff with my homeowners association minji is going through her local government like local like policy living, like, policy like, of um, directing my enlightenment of like how things i mean because on a meta level you know like i'm very leslie nope about it and i i understand on a very fundamental basis like this matters you know and my voice matters my vote matters i don't care to look at myself being lost in a sea of votes like i want to i do believe that my vote counts for something but oh my god okay you just pay tax i mean but like <laughs> but yeah i paid property taxes oh. for the first time oh my god um <laughs> but like as a new homeowner like this is a whole new arena for me and i'm i'm seeing this very real to like my fellow millennials like this is us adulting you guys like for real this is hard-earned money oh yeah and millennials more than anything know how hard it is to just pay rent and if like you do move on to home ownership or you know and it's not just you like your parents and like somebody in your life is part of like these systems right we're part of these infrastructures and let me tell you i can't go into detail right now but oh my god (laughs) it has been highly political it has been highly infuriating and just baffling about the way the rules are being dictated i'm putting air quotes abided by like (laughs) these rules and who makes those decisions and how it's been incredibly eye-opening again on a very very personal right immediate this is where i live and these are my neighbors level but like life's political you know what i'm saying like there are people who are in power and people who have authority and are in, in like they are given certain uh, like roles and responsibilities and if that that stuff goes unchecked 
if you don't know your own rights too, of like what I have the right to do as a citizen or as like, you know, a homeowner or as like a member of this community, if you kind of don't step into that power, it's a pain in your ass. I swear to God, like I can't go into detail, but it's, <laughs> it is a major like, inconvenience and stressor and like there's so many other things to do in life like why is that a thing yeah i mean i feel like i'm very vague but like that's it's, all I, it's say. I mean it's the tr- it's true for a lot of structures with when you deal with people with power right if people feel like you're not going to stand up for yourself they're going to exert power over you because they don't think you right they, they think because they can because right. they can get away with it there are right. a lot of people who are amazing people in power who really Care. understand right and they care and they take that responsibility very seriously and they will deal with the checks and balances but there are a lot of people who want power for power for selfish reasons um with at the, at the expense of other people's peace of mind and safety and happiness and like have complete lack of respect for their money their time everything there are those people yeah. it sucks because i'm such a like i want to believe the best in people and like <laughs> i do but there's some you know, like we need to keep that that, that yeah, check, check. Yeah, and then when it comes to that, you have one of two choices: you either roll over and let them walk all over you, or you get educated. You learn about your rights. You learn about what. Learn your rights. <laughs> I'm learning mine. <laughs> yeah. Believe you me, it's been stressful. Minji's learned all about bylaws and oh my oh, god, civil codes. <laughs> I'm I'm glad I'm not in your shoes right now. But that's what I want to like. Well, we'll see. We're gonna channel this <laughs> into, <laughs> into something into good. But like, I think that it's a matter of education, which is why I'm glad you're here. Like. Giving and, us that insight of what that data says, because that narrative is like it directly impacts all right. of our lives. And it's great because so AAPI data is a it's a relatively new um, new organization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, founded out of UCR, um, and it's focusing on one of like the few big like policy points of the Asian American political community, at least, which is data. Like how right. do we how do we properly calculate and right. and showcase data so that decisions are made for the benefit of our community. Right. And I mean, you know, API data was born about four years ago, over four years ago now, because there's this need that we saw that we needed to fill. And I think that now we're trying to um ensure that the conversation is informed, right? And that when we talk about these issues, when we talk about, for example, um, the Dream Act and Dreamers and DACA recipients that people know that you know some of the fastest growing rates of um, the undocumented um, community growth is in the Asian American community, right? And people don't always know that. People don't know that one in seven Asian immigrants are undocumented. People don't know this information, and we are trying to figure out ways to color that conversation and make sure that one obviously policy. Uh, issues and agendas reflect the needs of the entire community, whatever that community is. Um, but also that we know and we are armed with that information when we go to talk to our elected representatives, when we um, are using that information to make policy changes or recommendations because we need to have that information. And right. you know, so often, as we were just talking about about the um, elect- exit polling, that people don't bother collecting the data for us, so we need to do it on our own um, right. and really support um, the work that you know, advocacy organizations, but also academics and other folks that are trying to better understand our communities um, have a place to go. For sure. I mean, there's so many things that people will say in generalizations, right? They'll say, theoretically, they'll be like, because again, the stereotypes are like, oh, Asians are affluent and they're all college educated and they're all you know middle class or upper upper middle class and above, and like 
that's no. Yeah. And I still hear that, you know, like I still, and again, not in a hostile way, but people like will say, well, because there's like the saying in Hollywood, like it's bad to be a white actor in Hollywood right now. <laughs> but they're just like, I don't like, and these are like very genuine reflections. Like, why are Asian people so upset? Like, you guys get all the best stereotypes. It's still said, okay? I'm like, legit heard that this year Yay us, but they're right? like they're like and i was like you and i don't know the first thing about right. the reality of that right and, and you're you're basing this off stereotypes and that's why we care so much about data disaggregation right and i think that that's something that people um don't really understand and you know there is some backlash within the asian american community specifically the chinese american community about data disaggregation right now but it's so important because if we don't know the detailed data from all of our different communities, all the different ethnic groups that make up Asian America, we would never know where the needs are. We wouldn't know that we're talking about education. Right. Yes, Indian Americans and Taiwanese Americans have some of the highest rates of college graduation, like over 80% right. for both communities. But when we're talking about Hmong Americans, we're talking about Cambodian Americans, Lao Americans, um, f- um, folks especially from the Southeast Asia region, including Pacific Islanders as well, um, they have some of the lowest rates of four-year college completion, right? Um, sometimes only in the teens. And that's really stark when we're trying to, one, get rid of the model minority myth. Right. And two, figure out who needs help and where can we divert resources. Yeah, right. Even when it comes to mobility, I, I, I have friends who I know dropped out of college. They got into college and dropped out because either their family couldn't afford it anymore or because their family needed them home to work. To work, yeah. You know? Yeah, I definitely have those friends too. And these these are friends from like the Bay. You know what I mean? And the Bay, you can say, is like a super rich part. And it is part of the America. It's also super expensive to even like live there. So it made sense, honestly, why some people that I know had to like forego their their careers to like help their families with their like small business or like... And, and you know, we can look at that in different ways and that's different like levels of like how you define yeah, success. Right. Like I, I have a lot of respect for them because they chose that and I don't like look down. But like, again, but coming back to the meta of like the stereotypes and what people will generalize and like dismiss you, right? Yeah. They'll be like, oh, well, you're Asian. You got everything going for you. No, I'm like, I get really, <laughs> no. And that's even speaking from like um, my perspective as someone who grew up in the San Gabriel Valley where the, our school systems were pretty good. Your chances of getting college are pretty good. That's not even like considering all the people who have to live in like places where the school systems aren't even that great. Like where people live right. in poverty and they don't have access to resources. Like there's tons of Asian Americans who live in those situations as well that because of the modern minority myth right. get like overshadowed and erased. Right. right. And you know, I think one thing that, you know, we were, we were just talking about, talking about success, the idea of success, right? You know, one thing we talk about a lot is the idea of how do we redefine success? And how do we, as a community, break the ceilings that exist, bamboo ceiling, the glass ceiling? And, you know, a lot of that for us is about redefining success, right? We're just talking about the C-suite. Marvin, you mentioned the C-suite. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing we say is that civic engagement, and this is going full circle back to the beginning of the conversation, <laughs> civic engagement is an opportunity to build leadership and to build those qualities that people yep. perceive that we don't have, right? Yep. Yeah. A lot of times people say, oh, we can't give you this leadership opportunity because you don't have leadership credentials or you don't have experience. And that's kind of a catch-22. Like, it, how can you get that experience <laughs> if you don't get offered opportunities for that? Right. And, you know, one thing we've seen is that civic engagement is a perfect opportunity to build that experience. You know, you're not just talking about voting. We're talking about attending public meetings, contacting your representatives, organizing your community and your friends. Those are all demonstrated opportunities for leadership building that can help 
break those ceilings in ways that seem small, but when added together, make a significant difference. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's not just for your college apps. It's, also it's not just your- for the college apps. <laughs> and honestly, I'll say this on like a very personal level as like being an actual leader within collaboration. Like I've, I'm Asian female. I know that certain stereotypes apply to me. Certain others don't or whatever, but I've definitely dealt with the assumption. Again, going back to what the generalizations and the stereotypes do. I like to be the person to like surprise people, but it's, I, it's funny when you step back and you're like, oh, my thing is that I surprise people because they don't expect me to be outspoken and articulate or whatever, right? Yeah. right? They're like, I've, I've gotten several reactions throughout my lifetime of like, wow, you're really like, you know how to talk. And I was like, what <laughs> made you think that I couldn't though? Do you know what I'm saying? And like that, what, they weren't trying to be an, a jerk, but like it's there's enough messaging in my the response to who I am as a person that they clearly were not expecting somebody with like a voice and i'm like that's interesting <laughs> microaggressions are the worst right yeah. so i'm just like all right and like and that, yeah that comes from culture from media from representation i remember it's it's loosely segue from that yeah. i have a story i was in china with like my business school cohort and we were with a bunch of executive mbas like they decided to come with us to this like business tour of china and we were at this dumpling house and a guy turned to me he's like hey, can you ask them for some rice and I had to tell him, I had to break it to him, they don't have rice here. <laughs> this is a dumpling house. This is a dumpling house. And he's like, this is a Chinese restaurant, though. They don't have rice? Like, it blew his mind that there could exist a Chinese restaurant with no rice. We're all getting educated. <laughs> We're all getting We're all educated. Learning. I didn't know that. Like, <laughs> I'm just being real. I didn't know that. But, like, it makes sense if you're a dumpling, like, your specialty house. It makes sense. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of different discussions happening. And so I applaud you, Alton, like so hardcore, because for a lot of people, it's like, a, you know, they would much, much rather be like an executive at a studio, which is, you know, we still we applaud that very much like go. But like it takes a lot of diligence and a lot of work to to make data a priority because to me being like the total science geek i understand the importance of it but it's not necessarily like where everyone's attention automatically goes it could be a harder sell do you know what i mean absolutely and i think you know obviously data informs a lot of what we talk about and what we do and but a lot of what we're trying to thinking we're trying to think about too is how do we you know change narratives as well and i think that's where you know between collaboration and api data there's a point of commonality is that you know we are trying to shift the culture and we are trying to change hearts and minds and i think you know this work happens on all of these fronts it happens politically it happens culturally it happens Mm -hmm. in entertainment and media happens Mm -hmm. in politics and government there's many different fronts where we have to do this kind of work and it's very it would be ill-advised for our community to be only single-minded about it right that you know x thing x election or even x person on tv is a success and when we're done (laughs) there is no done there is no done the done done won't happen until there's perfect equity between us and white people and that is far (laughs) far off and i think that we really need to think about ways that we can be active on all of these fronts. Like, if you care about media representation, you should also care about political representation. Right. If you care about, you know, working in government, working in um, policy, you should also care about entertainment. It's it's two sides of very similar coins um, that that really will help shape the future of our community. Right. Yeah. You know what I just realized is like, I guess the way that I would explain it to somebody is like, basically without data or without the facts, right? We're making blind decisions. We're just like, people are making decisions with like absolutely no basis of like, 
of, of, of yeah. being effective right. or like actually helping people. And then to me, that's just also a waste of my money because I'm a taxpayer. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you guys like get it together right. so that my the do- dollars I'm not getting and I'm not in Fiji right now <laughs> on a beach. Let that be going to something like useful. Yeah. For God's sake, please. Thank I you. Mean, Goodbye. There's that. And also decisions are being made without our input. Right. right. I just keep thinking about my HOA. I'm just saying <laughs> like... <laughs> <sighs> this will don't worry guys there there will be something that comes out of this i just i'm in the middle of it right now but it's it's um man on a very as a as a as a fledgling adult i still like i'm in my 30s but i'm like yeah. I, i'm an adult it, it really does matter and again just like the older i get and the, you know, we work so hard to like make a living yeah. and whether we'd like it or not we got to pay taxes yeah. and it just it matters you guys i mean you're talking about homeownership i would even add that you know data will show us that the one of the biggest barriers for the millennial generation and asian americans from homeownership is student debt Mm. You know, yes. the Asian American Real Estate Association, ARIA, they did uh, research on this and they did some data pulling and they <laughs> found out that it really is student debt and it's those impediments. And, you know, if you think about our community um, on the aggregate for now, let's say for, on the aggregate, yes, there are more Asians that go to college uh, in comparison to some other groups. And because of that, we have more student debt and the proportion of the student debt. And that really does foreclose, foreclose me from owning a home. Like, I wouldn't even think about owning a home. I'm living with my parents now and I have no shame. <laughs> I am saving money on rent. I, I don't have Good to pay you. I respect, rent or, or, or down payment or mortgage. And That'll be your home one day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but 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 then I'm, I'm also an example. You know, data also tells you who is being affected and there are actual stories for each person each data point has a story yeah, exactly. um, and I think you know that HOA situation there is a perfect example of one <laughs> the data but also why we need to engage with our community exactly yeah. and I was very like what I'm learning by talking to my neighbors is like how much people don't know and how ignorant I was I was ignorant to a lot of stuff until it became a problem right. you know what I mean and then I was like oh no this does not this is not how this goes but I it, you know talking with a lot of different people not just my neighbors but like other homeowners like I'm putting out in the Facebook world whatever a lot of them were like yo I only know this because it was a problem for my parents i only right. know this because it was a problem for me as a renter blah 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 and it affects even renters like even if you're not a homeowner somebody owns that property and it affects your day-to-day life yeah but sorry i'm trying to buy my hoa but like <laughs> it's it's real to like engage to know your rights and like a lot of people that i they like they had zero awareness about right. what their rights were as a yeah. as a human paying money but like but you're putting money into this like yeah it comes back to a lot of that and like why are you paying thousands and thousands of dollars for an education that honestly doesn't really help careers anymore like that's a whole other conversation yeah because that's what we talk about a lot of our um collab <laughs> volunteer you know, our staff they're like man i went to school for this and it's not really like <laughs> producing results man it's a millennial pair like Crisis. So one last question, Alton. Uh, any like, what's the most interesting thing you've learned since working with AAPI data? One of the most interesting interesting things I've learned, I think, is just about how much potential there still is for this community. Um, I think you know when we look at data trends, you know we have raw numbers and we have you know growth rates and we talk about you know the change over time and all these nitty gritty details. And you know one thing that I'm seeing is that these things are still on the uptick, you know, there's, there's no stem, like significant slowing down, um, 
um, maybe under this administration there will be when it comes to immigration, um, especially if they do change immigration policies, which is another conversation for another day. <laughs> But, you know, the size of the community will continue to grow, right? There will be increasingly more people who are born in this country than immigrating into this country, right? Like, there'll be more second gens and third, fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. and there are first. And that's just based on you know, changes in demographics and growth of our community as any community will grow if they're in any one place in, if for an extended period of time. So I think a lot of what we're talking about now is only going to be amplified and compounded going into the future. And that is something that's both exciting, but also a moment where we're like, we need to get to work and we have more work to do when it's pushing for our communities to be active yes. on the right things and on yeah. the right issues. Time to take the lead. Yeah. <laughs> y'all, can't, y'all can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> can't hide no more. It's coming at you. I want to thank Alton for joining us this week on the Collabcast. Thanks, um, y'all. I didn't mean to be so ominous, but like, <laughs> <laughs> let's engage willingly and yeah. happily. <laughs> um, if people want to find more of your work and follow your thoughts, where can they where can they follow you? I am at, at Alton Wang on Twitter, and uh, AAPI Data is at AAPI Data on both Twitter and Facebook, so check us out. They have some great maps and graphs. As, as a former connoisseur of maps and graphs, they have good maps and graphs. Infographics for life. Check yes. it out. Yes. <laughs> Um, as always, you can contact me and Minji on the Collabcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Um, leave us a good rating review. We appreciate it. And uh, oh, thanks to Uzuhan for his song, Uzuhan, for this week's intro and outro. And congrats again for winning Collaboration Star 2017. Yeah. You know, you should put some, like, we should talk all the time, like, infographics with some music, you know what I'm saying? Oh. Hey. That might attract some attention. Yeah. yeah. Some explainer videos. I'm sorry, you add a good soundtrack to anything, and I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week, Alton. Um, and that'll do it for this week for the Collabcast. Bye, guys. Have a good week. Bye, y'all. I consider it a blessing. Hey, you consider it a sign? Yeah, I don't know. It's been a few.